Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Fungi have long played an important role in shaping and harnessing the way life grows on our planet. Now, fungi are not well understood, but they have some pretty amazing ways that they grow and spread. Lineages that can cross continents and be adapted to specific niches, plus the way in which they can use their genes to help protect other plants growing in the environment from some nasty toxic elements in the soil. If you take a creature, an animal or a plant, and you put it into a really special ecological niche. Maybe that's an island isolated from everything else, like say Madagascar, or even a smaller island in the archipelagos of Indonesia for the Philippines. And you leave those creatures there for a long time, or plants, they may end up with some pretty odd traits. They might become super big, island gigantism, or super small, where there's no available food sources. And these things make that species adapt and change and really hone in on this exact geological niche that they manage to find themselves in. You see the same thing in mountaintop islands, these bands inside mountains where it's perfectly habitable and temperate, too cold at high altitudes and too barren at lower altitudes. And these cloud top islands also exist and exhibit the same feature. And this kind of geographic isolation is a really key driver for determining when a species is going to branch out and end up with some unique traits. But it's not the only way. And what else could drive the unique development of a different type of species with some strange features is a topic that researchers from the Dentiger Lab and Natural History Museum of Utah like Keaton Tremble and Ben Dengida have been diving into. And what they've been focusing on is the history and the flavours and the genetic profiles or lineages of certain species of mushrooms, the Porcini mushrooms, particularly across the Northern Hemisphere. And they've been analysing the genetic code of these samples from across the world. And they found that these delicious and beautiful fungi have evolved not like one would expect of hyper-niche specialization, but actually where they have developed traits or lineages in ways that aren't governed purely by geography, or rather local ecological niches. And what the researchers have found that porcini mushrooms across the northern hemisphere have evolved in different but clearly recognizable ways across the globe. And there's real stratification of separate genetic populations in local areas. And this is unusual, right? So you get this splitting of these lineages of these Puccini mushrooms in the same geographic area. And you end up with strong dominant lineages of one part and others emerging in separate regions. For example, in Europe, there's just one lineage of Puccini mushrooms that dominates from Spain all the way up to Scandinavia and all the way to the east, to Georgia. That's a huge area, geographically speaking. But one genetic grouping of Puccini mushrooms, not a species, but just a genetic grouping, actually dominates that area. In North America, you end up with these different stratified genetic populations, separate genetic populations in local areas. And this is really unusual because it means that there's not just one evolutionary strategy pushing these porcini mushrooms to develop and specialize. Something else is driving this, more than one feature. And this is the first genetic study in any organism to show such a large divergence on a global scale, which you know obviously comes 
to question the standard and common conception that just by isolating a population geographically from each other, then you will end up with new species forming. In this case, you're ending up with new lineages forming without that geographic isolation happening at all. Now, to a viticulturalist, someone who studies wine, this would not be a surprise. There's a French word, terroir, which describes local factors, the soil types, the amount of sunshine, the angle of a slope, all the kind of microclimate features that you might see, what creatures live in the soil, the pH, the amount of rainfall, all of these factors go into deciding what grapes, what stone fruit to plant in certain hillsides. Not just what makes one farm's grapes different to another's, but literally down to the hill or the point on the hill where the best or the different types of grapes are to be grown. And this, of course, is what is done in all types of farming for all kinds of purposes, to enhance flavour or to try and quantify things that, that they can see produce tangible results. And in many ways, that's exactly what's happening to Puccini mushrooms. They have their own geographic niches, but actually they aren't just one region isolated from each other. They're spread out, and as long as they create these lineages that can span huge parts of a continent. But how do the researchers determine all of this? Well, it's only been recent that actually people have started sequencing mushrooms. It's been quite difficult to do so, but and our traditional way of identifying mushrooms is trying to eat them or understand their phenotypes. But phenotypes can be deceiving because a brother and sister can have different hair colors, nose and eye shapes, but they're actually all still genetically very similar. So genetic similarities are probably a better way of identifying the true markers of when one species ends and another species begins. Now, an important thing to remember when we talk about mushrooms is that they're just part of the reproductive structure of a main organism called the mycelium. And like icebergs, mycelia only see the tip, or show the tips of themselves, the massive rest of that fungal body lives underground, bound up with the roots of the trees, interconnected and woven through the environment. In the case of Boletus elizabeth, it spreads geographically thanks to tiny spores released from the Puccini mushrooms, carried by the wind or onto mammals and flies. And then you naturally would think, well, if I'm in a geographic area where the spores can fly there, then that must be where that mushroom can be found. But what this study shows is that's not strictly the case. You can have different lineages of these mushrooms existing side by side. Considering the dumb spread of mycelia spores through the air, there is no way for them to choose to land in certain ways. So how could this possibly be the case? How could you end up with different populations existing and thriving alongside each other? Different genetically, that is. And that's what this study shows. They might be similar in look and taste and still be recognized as the same species, but they have distinct genes, distinct genetic populations. And diving through the 80 years of fieldwork and sample studies of mushrooms from across the world, they genotyped all kinds of single nucleotide polymorphisms, SNPs, around 800,000 of them. And from this, they found around, around 160 genomes that differed from one another in these Porcini mushrooms. Then you can cluster and group these into a family unit or a lineage or variant. And from this, they broke it down basically into six major lineages or families of these mushrooms. 
And what they see is that, well, how these mushrooms have managed to maintain the distinctiveness and of these genetic populations is actually what they're doing is adapting to the environment around them rather than physical isolation. Because otherwise, all these distinct populations would mix or merge or spread, and you'd see one becoming more dominant than the other. But that's not what's borne out in the data. They managed to keep their distinctiveness despite being geographically next to each other, and the best result that it can be ascribed to is actually the environmental adaption. These lineages are key. They tuned in to adapt to specifically a set of environmental conditions. And wherever it finds those, it flourishes and spreads far and wide in that niche alongside other variants of the same family. And you might think, well, sure, if these have enough genetic distinction, why aren't they considered a different species? But they're, they're genetically still very similar. And the problem of defining a species is we have no real way to say when something has enough difference to tick over to being a subspecies or a brand new species. Because this implies somehow that they're separately evolving, but they're, they're not. These lineages are interacting with each other and it's quite difficult to try and break them apart, separate one from the next. And that's the tricky part here with all these kind of genetic analysis tools that we have, especially with something like fungi, which has only been recently started to be analysed in this detail. We don't know enough, to be quite frank, about fungi, and we also can see clearly that we don't have a really good system for classifying them as well. Now, this is a great way to show that you can have different forms of selection and adaption, not just geographic isolation leading to diversity, but also specific environmental adaption leading to diversity as well. And this can form family groups that can span continents. It's a great thing that these mushrooms are doing to try and conquer the world, so to speak, again. And the way which scientists are diving into this data, the research published in the journal New Phytologist with authors Tremble, Hoffman and Detitel. As we talked about before, the mushroom exists far more beneath the surface in the root system, the rest of the mycelia, than we do and see at the tip of that particular mushroom. And the way it interacts with the environment around it is really fascinating because fungi contribute an awful lot to our planet in ways that we don't always fully understand. But researchers from the University of Maryland have published in the journal Pershing National Academy of Sciences pretty interesting investigation into the power of particular fungus to help clean the soil and keep it safe not only for plants but also for humans by removing dangerous heavy elements that are present inside of it. Now lead author on this paper was Kong Kong Fu along with a list of collaborators from University of Maryland and what they were investigating was a particular fungus, Metahysium robertsi, which can be shown actually to solve a big problem of heavy metal poisoning inside soils. Now, mercury is a particularly nasty element. We know this now. Of course, the Romans and other historical civilizations have used mercury for all kinds of purposes, even in things like hats, hence the saying, mad as a hatter. Now, mercury, once it's in the soil, can be pretty hard to get rid of. Soil pollution with 
heavy elements like this is just basically a nightmare because you've got to try and filter it and process it out of all of that soil that it's spread through. And once that is in the soil, then any water that passes through that soil can get leachate. It can take some of that metal out of the soil and bring it down through the water system, the aquifer, back to wherever it goes. And this can spread these heavy metals into a far and wide region. Again, hurting and harming plants and people and animals along the way. Now, this is a big challenge because keeping our grounds safe and our water clean is a difficult thing. But knowing that metal is present in the soils in some areas is not enough without a good way to easily and cheaply remediate that soil. Now, if you were to grow a crop in a heavily toxified soil, then how you get the soil to be clean enough for you to actually use the crop is one problem. But even if you're downstream from that particularly contaminated soil, it's also a problem for you as well. Now, what these researchers found is that, well, certain types of this particular fungi show a great adaption to living and thriving in polluted soil. Now, when you plant this fungi in polluted soil, actually, the fungi grows totally normally. And in fact, it's actually still just edible in that soil. But what's more, if you look at water taken from downstream from that area, you can actually clear out the mercury from both fresh and salt water in the region. This is pretty amazing to think about. And what's more amazing is that Metahyzerium is actually a pretty nearly ubiquitous fungi. It can colonize plant roots and protects them from herbivorous insects that are coming to chow down on them, which is a nice thing for the fungi to do to keep the plant alive so it can still live there as well. But it also is, means it can grow in a wide variety of different locations. And researchers saw that this metahyzerium is actually one of the few living things that are able to survive in incredibly toxic sites, sites like mercury mines. Now, researchers weren't entirely sure how it managed to survive there, or if it was just a coincidence, but taking this one step further, they saw, okay, well, could we plant these in a way that helps the plants, keeps them alive, but also keeps the fungi alive? And what the researchers found when they sequenced these particular metahyzerium is that it contained two very similar genes present in bacteria that are known to detoxify or bioremediate mercury. So we can see that in other bacteria that actually consume and process mercury, that they have these detoxifying genes. And the fact that they're present in this particular fungi means that, okay, it's doing the same purpose. So this shows more empirically that this fungi is not just capable of surviving in bad areas that are toxic but it also it has genes present in it that can help it break down and process that toxicness so what the researchers did was grew some corn and infected it with metazerium and then they planted it in clean and planted it in mercury-laden soil what they saw is that the corn in the mercury-laden soil which had the fungi on it was able to grow just totally normally and didn't have any mercury present in it, not in the plant tissue, not in the corn itself. That is a phenomenal result, because normally if you planted corn in a mercury-laden soil, well, you'd end up with mercury in your corn, mercury in your plant body. So that result in and of itself is pretty amazing. Now, what they then did as an extension to this is, obviously, if you take the metazerium away, well, then the plants get riddled with mercury and the corn pretty quickly dies off. So good proof that the fungi is actually having a protective effect for the plant and also taking it out of the soil. Now what they then did is try and take those genes and put them into other plants and fungi 
And what they saw is the newly modified fungi behaved exactly like the Menarzarium, protecting plants from the mercury in the soil. So it's not just that this particular fungi has created it, but scientists have really hurried in on these genes that give it this amazing property. And they found that if they amped up those genes and made the fungi produce even more of those detoxifying genes, they would basically rapidly help clean up the area. They could clear mercury from both fresh and salt water in 48 hours by mixing in this metazerium. And this is amazing because it when deployed in the field, say in a toxic environments in contaminated industrial areas in China, you could see how much of improvement it was making on the plants around them. And allowing plants to grow in mercury rich environments is just amazing. These fungi are protecting their home, the plant, and keeping it alive. But at the same time, they're helping these plants thrive in environments that they would never have otherwise been able to. Just the power of fungi to shape and grow our planet in ways that are beyond comprehension, making places we thought would be hospitable even for us. The fungi somehow managed to turn that into a blessing and keep their plant friends alive in the process. There's some great work published in the journal Proceeding of the National Academy of Sciences with lead author Kong Kong Fu from researchers from the University of Maryland. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, The Grange Point. Fungi adapt to the environments around them in pretty fascinating ways. Plus, they can help detoxify the soil and make plants grow better in places that would otherwise be inhospitable. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.